presence of God and the strength of God. Amen. And we feel him in this place tonight. Amen. It's good to see everybody in the house of God tonight. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at the book of James, chapter number 1, verses 22 through 25. So if you want to turn there with me. And we will read those few verses of scripture to start here tonight. Amen. And it's good to see uh, mostly the youth band here tonight playing. Praise God. They did a great job. We need to give them a hand along with some other key pieces. Hallelujah. Amen. That's fantastic. And by the way, uh, when we're mentioning young musicians, um, there are some seasoned musicians that have, have done an incredible job mentoring it's very, very difficult to get new blood going unless there's somebody that is going to mentor and, and be a support and a strength and encourage you. You know, I want to get around people that encourage me to be better. Amen. You're not doing yourself any favor uh, by being with people uh, that make you feel good because you're going down to their level. Amen. Power is, is in proximity. I want to be in the proximity of people that make me better. Sometimes that's uncomfortable because there's people smarter than I am. They're more intellectual than I am. They, they've, got, they've got vision more than I've got. But when you get around those people and you hear them talking about what they feel like God is able to do and they cast vision, uh, those are the kind of people that you need to get around and rub shoulders with. Praise God. If you're around somebody that's always negative, you need to find a new friend. Or you need to encourage that friend and get around somebody that, that's positive and that strengthens you so that you can go back to that friend and be a positive influence. If you're, if, if, if you're lowering yourself to the lowest common denominator, that's not good for your mental health and your spiritual health. Praise God. This is not the message here tonight, but I just, I want you to know I'm thankful to be in the house of God with people that make me better. Praise God. Hallelujah. I think that's very, very important. And so I went off on that just to say that Brother Trent and Brother Jake, uh, you, you guys should be proud. You, you've got people up here that, in terms of the base, you've got, I think, three deep now. And that's because of the time and effort that you've put in. And I appreciate that. That makes me, that, that's really, really cool. Amen. Both of you guys put a lot of time and effort. And now we've got musicians that are coming up. And I encourage that. We need to thank them. Put your hands together and, and show some appreciation. Praise God. There's other musicians on their way. And we're thankful for that. Once you open that valve, then lots of stuff is able to move through it. Amen. James chapter 1 and verse 22. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and I think the perfect law of liberty that James is describing here is the gospel and the power of the gospel, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word. This man shall be blessed. Everyone say blessed. This man, this person, that's a universal. King James is using man as universal. There's some translations that have taken all the gender exclusive language out of it. Um, so because it would be offensive it's just, if it's just man and, and a woe man's not included there. But we know what's being stated here. It's a universal. This person shall be blessed in his and her deed. I want to be blessed of the Lord. 
Praise God. I want to be blessed of the Lord. And so for a few moments tonight, I want to speak to you on this subject, face in a glass, face in a glass. Lord, we thank you and praise you. We ask that you would strengthen us tonight as we open your word. And we pray that you would bring encouragement and we pray that you would bring clarity in the times in which we live in. We are a people in the world, not of the world, but we have to function in the world. And I pray that you would give to us spiritual clarity about the times in which we live. Amen. Give us maturity so that we understand the times, maturity to know what to do in terms of action in the times. And in order to do that, we have to turn to something that is absolute truth, and that absolute truth is the word of God. So we ask that you would strengthen us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Face in a glass. By the way, uh, here's another compliment that we need to give, and he's not in the building, but Brother Kevin Forsythe always asks uh, before the service what the sermon title is, and then he makes a slide for that. Uh, which is very, very nice. Amen. So it's the little things that go so very, very far. So amen. Thank you, Brother Kevin Foresight, for that. Face in a glass. Social media is something that is here, and it's going to be here to stay. And uh, it is not something that you can completely get away from. You can manage and control it. But social media in our day fuels envy, comparison, anxiety, and it produces depression. Robert Greene, in his book, The Laws of Human Nature, had this to say about it. Though social media, through social media, we have a continual window into the lives of friends, pseudo-friends, and celebrities. And what we see is not some unvarnished peek into their world, but a highly idealized image that they present we see only the most exciting images from their vacations, the happy faces of their friends and children, accounts of their continual self-improvement, the fascinating people they are meeting, the great causes and projects they are involved in, the example of success in their endeavors. So we're, we're seeing that, but it's not a true picture of reality. Excessive use of social media gradually erodes our attention and shifts it from rewarding activities like expressing our creativity and doing deep work. Deep work is things that are meaningful. Deep work are things that are tangible. And instead of doing deep work, we end up comparing ourselves. We end up in envy and status anxiety. And status anxiety is a real thing. There was a time where social media served as a great way to connect with friends and family members and keep up with what is going on in their lives. But as algorithms designed to capture, our attention have become more sophisticated. We only see things like engagements, babies, and significant accomplishments. What we don't see, we don't see the post from our closest friends or family members. Every time a status update is given or an uploaded picture is produced, we are measured gradually becoming desensitized to the toxic impact of quantifying our humanity. This leads us to keep feeding the beast and attempting to outdo what we did before resulting in a perpetual state of anxiety. 
we should certainly, as apostolics, should not be caught up in the trends of the world in which we are so anxious about ourselves to the point where we have status anxiety that we somehow feel left out with what everybody else is doing. If you're serving God in the kingdom of God, your status is connected to the kingdom of God, not comparing yourself to everybody else. And somebody said amen. amen. Praise God. We should not be in a perpetual state of anxiety. And so because of that status anxiety and a prioritization of resume values over eulogy values occurs. The power of social media is that nowadays anybody can become famous. You can be an influencer. They can become famous for being famous, not accomplishing something of depth, substance, or value. 40% of high school students have the goal of being famous. And in his book, The Road to Character, David Brooks makes the distinction between what he calls resume values and eulogy values. The resume virtues are the ones that you list on your resume the skills that you bring to the job market and contribute to external success. The eulogy virtues are deeper. They are the virtues that get talked about at your funeral, the ones that exist at the core of your being, whether you are kind, whether you're brave, honest, faithful, what kind of relationships you formed. They are different than resume values. Eulogy values are character values. There are things that you work on that describe your character. They're not inauthentic. They're not shallow. They run deep. They're deeper. And so individuals will talk about those deeper characters in a eulogy at a funeral rather than talking about social media posts and the shallowness of what this author called resume values. Our addiction to social media can lead us to prioritize resume values instead of eulogy values and cause us to value clicks over character, eyeballs over hearts, and attention over affection. And so all of this can lead to a very debilitating self-obsession, envy, and comparison. Amen. It is a downward spiral that can cause us to try to live in an age of perfectionism, trying to reach something that we have established in our minds or that somebody else has established, and it's the perfection, and it becomes the idea that kills. When you are living under a pressure to be impossibly perfect 21st century iterations of ourselves, to have the perfect body or to be the perfect parent or to be perfect in your career or any other myriad ways in which we place high expectations on ourselves and other people. We are creating a psychological environment that is toxic. Amen. It becomes the inevitable byproduct of our self-obsession that we compare, that we get envious, that we become anxious, and that we become depressed. Amen. I think it's, it's the right moment and the right time to step into a pulpit and say you should not be comparing yourselves with other people. You should not be anxious and you certainly should not be depressed about trying to measure up to a standard because it's somebody else's definition. 
You're what's what matters, and you matter to God, and you are who you are. Don't try to be somebody that you're not, and let God direct you to be the power and the influence around you that really, really matters. Amen. Study after study shows social media contributes to symptoms of anxiety and depression. The variable reward and addictive design of nearly every social platform keeps us coming back for more, but never satiating our desire for attention. Now, I'm really focusing on social media, but in terms of comparative analysis, this, this was with us before social media ever came to be. This is only exaggerated because it's now uh, an influence in our life. There, there are applications galore, and it's on our phone, and so it's a constant source of attention that can steal attention uh, from us and time that we spend in it. But before there was that, there was still the comparison. Saul was upset because he compared his ability to David's anointing. It's human nature. So I'm... I'm, I'm pointing out here tonight the social media components but the human nature is the same don't compare yourself to somebody else just be the mess that you are and say god help me be better when you when you create some kind of bar that you you create and set you're going to you're going to be disappointed don't do that don't do that. You should measure yourself as a face in the glass through the word of God, not somebody else. Amen. Sometimes some people will create these definitions on what people should be or shouldn't be. You're going to be terribly disappointed. The real value is not in setting the definition. The real value is seeing the growth of an individual. Praise God. The fact that you were here a year ago, but now you're here, that's that's where the money is, and that's what's exciting. But sometimes people, they set the bar, and if you're down here and you don't measure up to the bar, they become disappointed. They've got every answer for you. They know how to straighten you out. Listen, let people be people and, and celebrate the fact that people are developing and becoming who they need to be in Christ. Amen. Rather than trying to compare yourself, you will be absolutely miserable. So we need to have a mindful relationship with social media. Amen. I think that's very, very important to say. You need to be very deliberate about it. Notification settings on the apps that you use. If you're not careful, they will communicate to you 24-7. Location of app icons on your phone or your desktop. Put, put the things that are not as meaningful in the back so they're not just right in front of you all the time. How, what, what are your time restraints on social media? What are you going to do? Because if you're not careful, you will sit down and blow hours. There's got to be some management of time. Parents, you need to manage the time uh, that's, that your children are on social media. When I say social media, that even is a misnomer. I'm talking about technology, games, phone, apps, computer, iPads, what else is there? <laughs> uh, all, this, all this kind of stuff uh, can steal time from what we described as doing deep work. Deep work, I mentioned some of these musicians, uh, and so I was, I was encouraging Brother Andreas because his son's learning the bass. He said he, that's, he does that a lot. That's deep work. He's producing value 
there's going to be a lot of people that say, I want to do that. I'm going to play the bass. Okay, and then you get that thing in your hand, and you're like, okay, this feels awkward. What is this? And you start trying to learn that. You realize that's, that's very difficult. It just doesn't come naturally. Nobody picks it up and just starts playing the bass or the piano or any instrument. It takes time and effort. And so there's a lot of people that will say, yeah, I can do this, but then when they get into it and realize it's hard work, uh, okay, then that's where the rubber meets the road. And for some folks, it's okay to say, you know what, I don't think I can do this. This takes too much work, so I'm going to peel off of this and find something else to do that is deep work. And there's, there's something to be said for that. Applaud the person that recognizes I'm spending a lot of time and I don't think I'm cut out for this. I need to find what I'm good at and let God direct me to that. That's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. And so if you find yourself in that situation, I applaud you. And there's somebody specifically that's actively involved in this service here tonight that said, you know, I don't think that was for me. I enjoyed it for a little bit, but uh, it's not for me. I'm going to do something different. And, and he is, his, his work here tonight has been a blessing to us. And so I want you to know without saying your name, I appreciate that. Amen. The deep work is what we should be doing and reaching for. And if we're not careful... The attention will be stolen from us. Now, this, this is a whole nother conversation, and this is a whole nother lesson that I need to work on because technology has, has shifted and changed so radically. And if we're not careful, we'll hold on to some old things that we have heard, stigmatizations, and, and if we're not careful, we'll enter into a hypocritical realm where we'll point something out here, but yet we're doing all of this over here. We're not really balanced because we're not really thinking about what we're doing. And so some of the stands that were made many, many years ago, one of the, when I was growing up, uh, and I heard it preached often, and, and it, was, it was a powerful argument, was the reason why there was a pushback against television is because, and this was one of the big things, this was really before the content got bad, because back in the early 1950s or whatever, they had code of ethics for everything that they produced. In other words, Hollywood came together and said, we're not going to do, it seems to be family values, we're not going to do this, and we're not going to do that, we're going to keep that out. Well, they quickly, dis, they quickly disbanded that notion very, very fast. <laughs> okay, so there is no code of ethics anymore, <laughs> right? So it's crazy. Uh, but one of the things that people said was that uh, television, the average person, they would quote the stats, the average, the average person watches it six hours a day. I think it was something like six hours a day. Uh, and so, and, and that was something really uh, pressed. And at the time, it, it was good. But ladies and gentlemen, okay, we're spending that amount of time on our social media and our apps and our phones. And so the argument that we use for TV, uh, we should be using the same argument for everything that we use when it comes to technology because the principle is still the same. And that's where we, we need to become better. We need to start talking about principles, not necessarily the technology because the technology is going to change. Whatever is here today, there's already something being formed tomorrow. And, and we kind of boxed ourselves in because we thought you can draw a nice little box around this and, and it can be controlled. And it could for a time frame. But it's not that way anymore. There is so much that is available. And so what really needs to happen is we need to do a deep dive into the things that are principles and values that dictate to us. It doesn't matter what medium it comes on. These are my principles and values. I'm not going to violate that. And the scripture is full of that. 
As a matter of fact, one of the scriptures that is so very powerful is in the Psalms. The psalmist said, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. Didn't say anything about any technology. And David got himself in trouble because he was on the balcony looking down at the women that were bathing down below. Didn't say anything about balconies. It just said, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. Meaning, it doesn't matter how it comes, what platform it comes on, what technology, what media source it comes on. I'm not going to view stuff that's not good for my spiritual and mental health. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to control that. I'm going to be disciplined. When your relationship with technology is not mindful, you become its slave instead of its master. And when you are mindful of about how you use it, it's easier to compare less and create more. Fortunately, there are more and more people that are becoming more and more aware of the negative impacts that our addiction to these apps are having on our mental health, not in just a church setting but on a secular setting. This is a real mental health issue and problem. And, and so people are becoming more and more aware of that. If you cannot be the master of it uh, and control it, it might be good that you get rid of it. Rid of it. That's not a bad thing either. Uh, we're not promoting social media. We're not against social. It's a neutral thing. And if you can master it, just like anything else, you can discipline yourself. There are good uses for it. But if you cannot, don't feel bad about saying, I'm hitting the eject button because I want to do deep work. I want to produce things of value. I want to spend some time on things. Amen. There is nothing. It's, it, it becomes a vicious cycle. If you get up and, and, and you, you go into that vortex of, of wasting some time, right? And then you realize, oh my goodness, I've just wasted hours here and I, I missed that and I missed, that becomes depressing in and of itself. And so you end up going down into this hole at the end of the day, you're like, what did I do? Absolutely nothing. That is not a good feeling. You need to be disciplined with your day. You need to get up at a, at a, at a certain time and say, okay, this is my day. I'm getting up. I'm going to do deep work. I'm going to spend some time in the word. I've got things throughout the day that are important. I've got a scheduled day. I'm not going willy-nilly throughout the day. I'm not just spontaneous about this. I'm being focused about what I'm doing so that at the end of the day, I can feel good about myself. I can feel good about what I've done, and I can feel good about the kingdom of God and what God wants me to do. That is a good steward of your time and your effort. Praise God. And I know that's not run-the-aisle stuff, but it's really, really good stuff. It is. It is. We need to be a little more focused about everything that we do, including our day. Our world is in such confusion. You can't get good, you can't get good service. People that are working, are, I mean, it's like they don't really want to be there. Why am I here? I think there's great opportunity for apostolic people to step to the forefront and say, I can add value. I can add value to a job. I can add value in a classroom. I can add value at school. Amen. You have an opportunity to rise and be, rise to the top and be the cream of the crop just by being a good steward. Praise God. Come on, parents, help me out here. Young people, put your hand to the plow. 
Amen. Our world doesn't want to hear this, but if you're just wasting time on games, there's nothing wrong with games, but if you're sitting there six hours playing games and you're not doing any deep work, this is not good. It's not good for your future. It's not good for your goals. It's not good for future success. Praise God. Do a deep dive and say, I'm going to do deep work. Amen. I'm going to do deep work. Praise God. Amen. Listen to me. If you're, if you're like 16, 17, you need to be thinking about what you're going to do. This is good. This is good. This is not even in my notes, but I, this, it's good. You need to start thinking about it 16 and 17, which is, what is that? Uh, sophomore, junior? That's not a senior in high school. You need to start thinking, then, what am, what am I doing with my life? Praise God. What am I going to do? What, what job? What career? What schooling? What technical trade? Uh, college nowadays uh, only gets you so far. They have oversold college. In my day, if you could get a college education, that was your ticket out. And because I worked in a family janitorial business, I so wanted out. Some of you didn't know that about me. It was fun. Every once in a while, I grab a mop because it's good therapy. I was mopping in a daycare, and some lady came through there. I didn't know who she was, but apparently she knew who I was. And she looked over at the mop in the bucket, and I was mopping. She looked over and said, hey, wait a minute. Ain't you the pastor? I said, yes, I am. But pastoring is mopping and doing a lot of other things. There's nothing wrong with that. It's hard work. It's not fun. It's not. I started work <clears throat> self-revelation time. This was not a good idea. I started work at the age of 11 making $50 a month. I thought I was rolling in the dough, man, 50 bucks a month. At 11, that was amazing. And I worked with my grandfather, and we cleaned buildings, PG&E buildings and PG&E yards and bars. We cleaned in a restaurant that had an adjacent bar, and so we didn't clean the bar, but we had to clean. It was my job to clean the bathrooms. I'll tell you, I got an education I probably should have not gotten at the age of 11 in that place, and I determined I was not going to be an alcoholic. I don't want to be gross here, but those people, when they get inebriated, they don't... Anyway, they're... <laughs> You're not quite as sharp. <laughs> You're just... <laughs> and... Whoo! So I... So... Let me, let me get back on safer ground here, okay? <laughs> so, growing up from the age of 11 all the way into high school, uh, and that was your ticket out. If you could get a college education, woohoo! that was the way out. And so that's, that's something that I pursued because I, I didn't want clean toilets and mop floors. And, and there's, there's, by the way, there's good money in it, and they're still doing it. They got a great family business. It works great if, if you keep that kind of business within the family. Because if you're hiring people to do that, they, they, they're not going to do the quality job unless you can find somebody really, really good. Anyway, so <clears throat> college was something very, very important. Well, now people are so loaded up with student loans that they're coming out with $50,000, $60,000 in student loans, and they can't get a job for the field that they're in. So this is just me, you know, pastor talking. If, if you're going to go to college, it needs to be something specific. It needs to be a field that is specific. Because if you're just going into a general education, 
people can't, they can't find work in those areas unless it is specific. And now, now, you know, back in the day, they used to have wood shop, welding, trades. You could learn a trade in high school starting, and they eliminated all of that because they, nobody, who's going to need that? Everybody's going to school, getting greater uh, education and degrees. Well, uh, now what's happened is people are ending up with all kinds of student loans. They can't get the jobs that they want. They're working surface jobs. They're frustrated. They're upset. They're depressed. And there's a shortage in people that know how to do electrical, plumbing, framing, construction, welding, and all of those things. So my, my thought to you is just, this just you know, I'm just throwing this out there. If you're going to get involved at 16 and 17 and figure out, okay, what am I going to do? Find something specific if it's going to be on an educational level or get into a trade that is something that you can provide as a service that is a skill because those things are coming back. You can't find people to do that anymore. And if you do find them, they're not doing a very good job. Because they don't know what they're doing because nobody's there to teach them unless they're being mentored. So get into some kind of trade or skill set. This is okay. This is okay because God wants to bless his people. And when he blesses his people, it blesses the church. And when he blesses the church, it blesses the community. So there's connections in all of these ways. So if you're 16, 17, you need to start thinking about what, what am I going to do in my future? Some gentlemen, man, they, they, they wait, they wait, they're playing, they're doing all this kind of stuff, and then they meet the one, or they think it's the one, and, and, and all of a sudden now stuff starts getting serious, and then they realize, wait a minute, I got I to gotta do some things here. I got to have some things that are established here. And so you got to work. You gotta you you gotta work toward that, right? You can't just wake up one day and say, "Oh no," right? You want to plan that out, right? Not that you're trying to make that happen. Don't open doors that you can't open. Let God do that. But He's He's only going to do His part. You have to do your part. And so when you start pursuing those things and thinking about those things and focusing on those things. And, and developing an attitude of, of work ethic to, to, to get there, then eventually you get there. Now everything is laid out and God can open a door for you and you walk through that door because everything is in place and the timing is right. But I feel really, I feel really bad for that person that comes to me and says, I think I want to marry her. I say, okay, well, what are you doing? I don't know, but I love her. I heard that. I did. I heard that. Well, love is, I mean, love, can, love is good. But love can only go so far, okay? You gotta have, you gotta have a job. You gotta have. There, there's gotta be some things in place, right? Amen. And so, if you're 16, 17, start working toward those. This is not what society is going to tell you. <clears throat> and there's a lot of caveats I could put here. There's some young people that take gap years, and they 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 do that for the work of God. Brother Garrett Pertell has finished his degree. He's worked an entire year at this church doing all kinds of stuff. He's preached out. He's worked here. He spent an entire year as a gap year just to, to do the work of God. There are teachers that are teaching for our school that are purposely sacrificing some of their time and effort to teach at our school because they want to be a benefit to the kingdom of God. We should, those kind of things, those are ministry opportunities, and we should champion those and really get on board and appreciate that because it helps us. It's a blessing to us. Amen. We have some, 
We have some young teachers that are, they are amazing. This year we came back with the same staff as last year. It has been so smooth. But we've got some young teachers that stepped out and they're making a sacrifice because they could be doing other things, going to school, chasing a lot of things, but they're committing themselves to Bethel Apostolic Academy. And your kids, don't ride them too hard, okay? They're human. They're trying to do the best that they can, and they're doing a fabulous job. They are doing an excellent job. Amen. So we, woo-hoo, we, we should appreciate them, okay? So, uh, you know, you, you have youth. If you're going to expend your youth, then expend it in the kingdom of God, right? Expend your time and your energy in the kingdom of God. It won't be a waste. And there's some occasions where if you don't take that opportunity at the moment that you're in at 18, 19, 20, this is one, another reason why Hope Corps is good. We've got Hope Corps students that are, are in Hope Corps, and, and that's ministry opportunities. That's trying to get a sense of the bigger picture, and spirituality is connected into that. What I'm talking about is just wasting time, not doing deep work, and then waking up when you're too far down the road and realize, I've wasted a lot of time. Don't do that. Don't do that. Amen. We should be a people that is more savvy about that than the secular world. Amen. Because the spirit of God, the anointing of God in you is something that produces something that is creative, that produces something that is of value. Amen. The Holy Ghost will do that. The Holy Ghost is not going to produce a lazy person. The Holy Ghost is going to produce a focused individual. The Holy Ghost is going to produce not somebody that's not focused. It's going to produce razor-like sharp focus because there is a power operating in your life. Jesus was not lazy. He was focused. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus had an occupation and he had a ministry. He was focused on it. He wasn't just out here somehow just, you know, a hippie walking around the streets. He knew exactly what he was doing. That same power is in us. And if it is in us, we have, should have the same drive, the same motivation to be creative, to create stuff, to walk around Bakersfield and say, I'm a child of God. I'm creating stuff. When you're, when you're giving a Bible study, you're creating stuff. The world's not interested in that. You know why they're not interested in that? Because that's personal development. That's building somebody up. That's producing great gains in somebody's life. And people don't want to get involved in that kind of hard work. But the church should be about individuals saying, praise God, we baptized somebody in Jesus' name. A Bible study was given. God's doing great things. There's creative power that is going forth because we're doing deep stuff. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. This is exciting stuff. God creates. He speaks into existence. And in that creative power, he gives us the ability to do the same thing. So our world is so focused on self-image. I got to hurry here. I'll just go until I feel like it's time to stop, and I won't keep you too long. Self-image is what drives individuals, but it's really not about self-image. It's about God image. And I guess everything that I just said kind of fits into that. A God image. That's what is important. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And so God creates humanity with the, the functionality and the humanity of his own design and purposes. We have special worth because we are made in the image of God. 
Amen. Self-image and self-concept is very important because it affects our self-esteem. It affects our confidence. When you think what you think you look like physically has an impact on you. How your personality comes across is self-concept. What kind of person you think you are is self-image. What you think others think of you is self-image. How much you like yourself or you think others like you. And sometimes as people, we only see ourselves as one-dimensional people. The only view of ourselves that we are aware of is us and about what others think. But we've got to remember here that God has created us. We have the view that God has for us. We have the opinions that others hold concerning us. And we have the perception of ourselves. We are multifaceted beings. And until you have made peace with who you are, you will never be content with what you have. This is why in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 6, Paul said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. If we're not careful, we get into this envy of somehow God owes me something. I don't have what somebody else has, therefore it's God's fault and he owes me. And so we get envious of other people. We get jealous of other things and we look out and this, this creates a bad self-image and self-concept for us. I'm just saying here tonight that you're made in the image of God. You're unique. God has created you. You are valued. You are who you are. Don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to act like somebody else. Be you. That's what makes our church so awesome because there's a lot of people that are different. <laughs> Praise God. I mean, could you, could you imagine if everybody was just like you, what kind of a church would this be? Stop and think about that for a moment. If the whole church was just like me, what, what, I mean, what would it look like? Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. So sometimes self-image can be a, a problem. And our minds are like hard drives, and we constantly run the same message over and over and over. We see our entire lives in the light of this message that is constant. And we interpret everything in a way that reinforces our fundamental beliefs about ourselves. And we fall into image pitfalls. If I'm not careful, I interpret everything that I do as great, meaningful, more special, and significant than anyone else. This is what pride is. Everything I see reinforces my inflated, prideful opinion of myself. And so this is a proud person, right? I am more important than other people. My ideas are always better. My insights are more profound. My work is more skillful. And without me, my family and church would crumble. I'm indispensable. God needs me on his team. And everybody should be grateful I'm around. I will see that I get all that's coming to me after all. I deserve it. This is a proud individual. This is an image pitfall. When somebody walks up to Mr. Proud and says, hey, Mr. Proud, we missed you at church on the weekend. The proud person thinks, yeah, of course you did because you can't have church without me. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 says, for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. That's a pride problem. But there's a flip side of that coin. So for some people, there's a pride problem. And for some people, it's a self-depreciation problem. 
And for them, what goes through their head is I'm a failure, a loser. I lack personality. I lack good looks and brains of successful people. I will never be as good as others. I don't do anything right. Nobody likes me. And those that seem to must be pretending. God can't use me. I'm not a worthwhile person and probably never will be. This is the flip side of the coin. Somebody walks up to Mr. Self-Depreciation and says, hey, we missed you church on the weekend. And they think you're just lying. Somebody told you to say that, and you really don't think that. These are image pitfalls. <clears throat> it's interesting being a pastor because you, you just come across, I mean, you just don't know what you're going to get. You greet people, and you're, you're just not sure. You're not sure where they are. You don't know what they've gone through their day. You don't know what their circumstances are. And, and so sometimes the response you get, after a while, you, you get adjusted to that. But it can really take you for a ride when you shake somebody's hand and they look at you and say, you, and you say, how are you doing? And they say, do you really mean that? Well, of course I mean that because I wouldn't be coming and shaking your hand and asking you if I didn't mean it. But this is an image problem. So some people are too proud and some people don't think they're good enough. You are good enough because you're a child of God. And God image is what's more important than self-image. Praise God. So I may not have the, the best of looks. I heard, about a, <laughs> I heard about a young adult pastor, and he had, a, he had a big group. As a matter of fact, we got a young adult pastor. Brother C.J. Casey is our, our young adult youth leader. And there's a good group of college and career and young adults. And so he had this big and, and these girls were complaining and moaning and griping about there were no good guys. And, 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 and so finally, he just, he, he finally got tired of it. And he looked at them and he said, listen to me. He said, this may be a little offensive to you, but your problem is you think that you're a 10 and, and you're really only a six. And so, so, so. If you would lower that expectation down to a six, you'd look around and see, man, there's a lot of six guys out here. Wow. But because you got the bar set so high, you're never going to find who God may have intended for you because you got the wrong self-image. You don't have the God image. When you get connected with God, God will align you to somebody that will love you the way that you deserve to be loved. I don't care who tells you, talks to you, has an idea about you. God's interested in you. <laughs> Praise God. I don't know. Maybe you need to reevaluate. You know, what am I? I really think that, you know, I'm a nine. A nine. Yeah, I'm a nine. And, and, and you might, maybe you should... Get a survey. Ask some people. <laughs> get a group together with a lot of different people, right? Don't get the same kind of people. And ask them, hey, do you think I'm a nine? They may say, mm, no, you may need to adjust that. 6.5. All right? Then, then you can get them all together and average them out and probably get it. Okay, what should I be looking for? 7.28. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. You're not careful. You, 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 you'll miss opportunities because your self-image is not what it's supposed to be. God hates a, a pride, a proudful look. He hates a person of pride. And he also detests somebody that feels like they're so low that they have no value because that's speaking directly to the image of God. You have too much pride, 
You need to adjust that because God's interested in that. But if you feel like you're so low, God says, I made you in my image. You have value. I don't care what the world says. You know, I'm, I'm disappointed in the world. We can talk about all this stuff and abortion and all this kind of stuff, and everybody can go out and, and clap and, and really feel good about that kind of stuff. But the scripture, which is the truth that we follow, it is outside our personalities, emotions, ideas. It is absolute truth that sets itself outside of us that dictates to us what we should be and shouldn't be doing. It's the standard of truth. And that standard of truth says, I know who you were in the womb. You matter to God. Praise God. I don't care if society wants to kick you to the curb. We're not kicking you to the curb because you matter. I don't care how society makes it feel like you're worthless. You're not worthless. You have value. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Self-image that is not right. And here's the last one, and we'll end with this. So musicians, if you'd come play something over there, you can just play on the keyboard if you want. You don't have to bring everybody up. It's the transformed mind. And the hard drive that runs through a transformed mind is this. I am far from perfect, but I am measurably valued to God. He specifically created me in his image, and I am unique. Nudge your neighbor and tell them, I am unique. Jesus Christ thought enough of me to die for me and not consider it a waste. As a Christian, I'm a child of God. I'm clothed with Christ's righteousness. God is on my side. According to his promise, I will spend eternity with him. God has seen me at my worst and still loves me. This means that regardless of how I feel about myself and how I think others feel about me, I am loved by God. I'm totally secure in Christ's unfailing love, and there is a great purpose to my life. Oh, I would love just to strike a real charge at the enemy that would love to come in that has been bullying young people and adults and elderly as if you don't have any value when in fact you do because you are a son and daughter of God. You are a child of God. You, ha you have value and we value you and we're thankful that you're here. Amen. The more you fill your mind with biblical truth about who you are, the more your self-image will come into line with God-revealed reality. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2 as we stand together says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Everyone say transformed. Ooh, by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. Our self-image is based on the word of God. Amen. I'm not determining my self-worth based on standards that are so shallow. But I'm basing my self-worth on what God says about me. <laughs> praise God. Let's pray together right now. Savior, I thank you and praise you and worship you. Amen. I thank you for your word that reveals how you think about who each and every one of us is and are. Praise God. We stand before you and we pray that you would help us see beyond the comparative definitions and the way the world views things and help us see not through those lens, but help us see through the lens of your power and your anointing and your ability. 
Praise God. Praise God. We worship you and we praise you and we thank you. We ask that you would help us in this endeavor, that you would help us do deep work, deep work. Help us to be creative. Help us to make a difference, a real difference in our world and influence in our city, in our world, among our families. Put your anointing in your hand and your power in us and we will be very, very careful to give you thanks and to give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Praise God. I want Brother Raymond to come. He's. Uh, we want to pray for him right down here. If you'd come stand to the front here. You'll see uh, this week's prayer requests that are uh, projected here tonight. Amen. If you need something in your body, prayer in your body, you want prayer, the ministry will be down here. Brother Raymond's more than likely, almost, well, it is likely, he's going to have to have major back surgery to, to remove a floating fragment in his back that if they don't get it out could cause some major, major damage. So we want to pray that the hand of God is with him. Amen. Praise God. You see this week's prayer request, all of our prodigals, we want to pray for each and every one of them. Amen. If you have a need in the house of God here tonight, why don't you lift your hands together? Let's agree together and pray together. Lord, we thank you and praise you. Know that you're a healer. Know that you bring strength to us. We know that you are the great physician. There are practicing physicians that do great work, brilliant work. But you're a God that supersedes all of that because you're a sovereign God. So we bring our faith to you, our confidence to you, and we ask that your anointing and your hand and your ability will touch. Amen. In this house tonight, I pray for everybody that is gathered together in this place. Praise God. Your anointing, your ability, let it flow. Let it connect in a myriad of ways and reach individuals in this place and not in this place. And I pray that your touch and your anointing and your ability would be felt. We give to you thanks and we thank you for opportunity to approach you and seek you in the house of God and lift up our faith to you. And when our faith is stretched out as far as it can to the uttermost regions, we will trust you and believe in you. Praise God. Come on, let's thank the Lord together. Clap your hands, lift your voice, fill this place with worship and praise. I thank you, I praise you for what you have done. Know that you're still working and know that you're going to continue to work. We ask all of these things in your great and wonderful name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Again, let's clap our hands and thank the Lord together. I love you.